Glorified scrimmage, no-win game. Those sayings and many more alike described Arizona State's season opener with Northern Arizona University before the opening kickoff ever took place and were likely still uttered after the Sun Devils throttled the Lumberjacks 40-3. But for an ASU program that entered the 2022 season with some of the lowest expectations surrounding the squad in several years, is there some actual optimism to take away from this dominating victory? Or is it really a game that has to be quickly forgotten as Arizona State faces top 15 Team Oklahoma State on the road this coming Saturday? To discuss that topic and others, I'll be joined by my staff member Cole Topham, who not only covered the season opener with me, but also had a very detailed breakdown on Arizona State's new quarterback, Embry Jones. The new season has kicked off. There's a lot of ground for us to cover. So let's get this thing started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and DevilsIdus.com publisher, Hod Rubino. I'm here with my staff member, Cole Topham. And Cole, I guess it's uh, never a bad thing when the team that you cover actually kick us, kicks us on Thursday and you get to watch a whole long weekend of college football. Yeah, no, especially um, we're recording this about an hour before Jaden Daniels is supposed to make his LSU debut as their starting quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's nice that you don't have to keep tabs on him while simultaneously trying to keep tabs on the ASU game right in front of you. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We get to enjoy a full week in college football. And, man, there's been there's some been some great games so far. That Utah-Florida game was electric. Um Crazy to see Bo Nix and Oregon travel to Georgia like that and just get absolutely uh, handed handed the loss to them over there. So um, yeah, it's it's been nice, like you said. It's a it's been a nice relaxing weekend. And you know, ironically, you, you mentioned those two matchups in specific, and you look at those Pac-12 teams and the caliber of opponent that they play. And obviously, ASU playing an FCS opponent, easily the weakest team they're going to play all year long, and. I've seen some fans, you know, taking optimism out of this game against NAU. Some fans just really ready to dismiss it. I mean, not don't even talk about it. There's no indicator whatsoever for the rest of the season. Your honest opinion, Cole, where, where, where do you lie in that argument? I mean, do you, is there some, you know, materialized uh, conclusion, so to speak, to take away from that win over the Lumberjacks or – it's just a brand new ball game, and then some uh, this weekend in, in Stillwater. So don't even worry about what happened against any of you. I think it will be a brand new ball game in Stillwater. First road game, you know that crowd is going to show out. Um, especially like that crowd thinks this game is going to be a rollover. And I think ASU might be able to surprise in that aspect. But sticking with the NAU side of things, we didn't really get to see. ASU at its full potential, right? We got like a nice little taste of Zazavian Valaday, 15 attempts, uh, 116 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He averaged a healthy 7.7 yards per carry. It's nice to see the new, you know, uh, him take over the backfield reins from Rashad White and be able to have a pretty seamless transition in that regard. And uh, Messiah Swenson as well, uh, three catches, 50 yards it may not seem necessarily all that impressive, but when you look at those catches on tape, he is wide open for all of those. He breaks a tackle. He gets yards after catch. And I think after that third catch, ASU pulled him and was kind of like, yep, you just blocked for X the entire rest of the game here. We've seen enough from you in the receiving department that we don't necessarily want to put that on film, show our entire um 
you know, showing our entire deck of cards for this Oklahoma State game in a week. And so I think that's kind of the approach ASU took. Once they started getting a comfortable lead, they started rotating in more guys, got the starters comfortable, got everyone in a too deep, a decent amount of reps, got Emery comfortable, which was good to see. They didn't have him do anything, all that drastic, all the one-on-one shots he took downfield, they felt comfortable with. There weren't any throws that, you know, you had your heart in your mouth about. Um, he just he seemed like a quarterback in control of his offense. He knew where to go with the ball. And when he had to improvise, I thought he did a really good job of that. Yeah. And, it, and obviously the point that you brought up is something else I brought up, too, as far as not really uh, cracking up that playbook wide open. So Oklahoma State uh, really has some tangible um, evidence, if you will, about what the Glenn Thomas offense is really going to look like. Glenn Thomas, obviously, a first year offensive coordinator is a unknown, not only for Oklahoma State, but really for the rest of the Pac-12. So I, I could definitely see that approach uh, of uh, not really asking Emory Jones and the wide receivers to do all that much. But the fact that it was able to, to, to spread the ball and, uh, you know, 13 out of 18, 152 yards uh, passing, you know, the, that's definitely nothing, nothing to write home about. But in specific about Emory Jones, and for those who don't know, uh, Cole did a great job uh, breaking down all the passing attempts that Emory Jones uh, did take against NAU. If you had to make like a macro statement or maybe a macro paragraph, Cole, on what you saw from Emory Jones, again, l- limitations uh, that definitely noted, what have you seen from him and how do you compare and contrast that to the style of Jaden Daniels? I thought he looked poised, which is no surprise. We've seen him throughout spring just be able to bounce back from adversity, command the offense with just an extreme level of confidence. Um, and he just, he wasn't phased at all. Like it, it, he was playing his first game in a new stadium in new colors and he was efficient. He was decisive. Um, like we said, 13 of 18 for 152 yards. And a lot of those incompletions were on deep balls and on, on throws that he was pressured and just had to, you know, kind of zing the ball in the direction of his receiver without kind of making it an opportunity for a pick or, or a, Uh, unlucky turnover but what I saw from Emory Jones was a lot of pre-snap work and a lot of just decisive I know where I'm going with the football and he was on the same page with his playmakers there was numerous times where he'd just look over see Elijah Badger had eight yards of cushion and knew the route concept and was like that's where I'm going with the football I just need to sell this read option with my eyes and then deliver an accurate throw, let my playmaker work in space. And that's exactly what he did. He did that to Badger. He did that to Swinson. And he did that to Andre Johnson as well, who caught all three of his targets after struggling with some drop problems in the spring. So like, like you said, um, Emory Jones, he, he just he, he looks con- in control of the offense. He spreads the ball around, completed passes to six different receivers, and could have had a, a, another completion to Chad Johnson Jr., um, but I believe that was one of his his incompletions. So he's getting the entire offense involved. He doesn't really have a, a favorite target, and he can he basically cracks his ASU open offense wide open for where they can go with the ball on any given play. And I thought, Cole, you you brought up a, a great point uh, during our in game coverage that uh, it's not that Emory Jones ran pretty well, eleven carries, uh, forty eight yards, scored two touchdowns on the ground, uh, and actually his longest run, seventeen yards. Uh, was one of those scores, but those runs were designed. It wasn't uh, runs of a scared quarterback, a quarterback that's not going through his progressions, a quarterback that's being maybe decisive 
in an adverse manner, if you will, deciding that I'm just going to run with the ball and I'm not going to try to uh, uh, stay in the pocket an extra one, two seconds, try to find uh, the open receivers, not keep my eyes down the field. And, and, and I think when, when you talk about uh, dual threat quarterbacks, people think that, you know, they might, that, that might be a given, but actually you see a lot of uh, dual, dual threat quarterbacks that are really run first more than just really being bounced between the, uh, the pass and the run. And I, I definitely thought that Emory Jones really was able to achieve that, that delicate balance. And again, with, with a scheme, with a uh, game plan that was supposed to be very conservative to begin with. Mm-hmm. And like, here's the thing about dual threat quarterbacks too, is yeah, they can run, they can gash defenses with their legs, but the biggest thing a dual threat quarterback does for an offense is establish fear of their rushing ability um, in the minds of the defense, right? If there's that fear that this quarterback can take off with the ball on every single play, even if he doesn't, then you still have to account for that. You still have to have defenders set the edge. You can't have any defenders, you know, hard keying on the running back because you have to take into account this, this guy's rushing ability. And I think that's what Emory Jones offers offers his ASU offense, even though he's not taking the ball, you know, every single play just out of a, a scrambling standpoint, that threat of, Oh, this guy can pick up a first down easily and fly by my, my, my linebackers with ease, that threat is still there. And so I think we saw on like one of ASU's first offensive drives where he was pressured for the jump, he was scrambling, and he was still giving his receivers a chance. He was still keeping his eyes downfield, still pump faking, trying to get the pass in the end zone before he finally you know, took it himself. And I believe he ended up at the one yard line where they were able to um, you know, quarterback sneak him in for the, for the score. So that's just the type of player that we're dealing with somebody that looks to pass the ball first, even when he's pressured and only uses his, his God-given athleticism ability until the last moment. You touched a little about Xavier Valaday and how life post Rashad white is, is going to look like And Look, I think we're both in agreement and overstating the obvious that this is the worst defense ASU is going to face on the or year long, I don't think there's even any Pac-12 defense mm-hmm. that would that you couldn't consider light years better than what we saw from NAU last Thursday. But but that being said, when you talk about field vision, you you talk about explosiveness, when you talk about decisiveness. I mean, the same trait that we talk about with with Emory Jones, Xavier Valde really has, I think, an arsenal of skills that can translate very well against defense that are much much tougher than NAU. What what, what was your take on the night that X had? Yeah, I thought he looked he looked really solid just between the tackles, getting the second level of the defense, but he really gets from zero to 100 through the tackles just really fast, and that's really encouraging to see. Um, didn't really see much of him in the receiving game. Um, saw more of Daniel and Gata in that aspect, but I, I still think that was something that ASU is keeping under wraps. Don't give your running backs too many targets because – and once again, don't give too much away on film for Oklahoma State to view. Um, so, yeah, we, we still don't really know how Xavier Valade and Daniel Angada are in the receiving department and how ASU is going to implement them. We've seen bits and pieces in practice, but we didn't see that translate to the game. But in terms of X's field vision, running style, he, he really gets downhill fast and he's able to translate that momentum into, into some really powerful thumps on those downhill defenders and in turn has some pretty incredible contact balance to uh, so, you know, soften the blow of those hits and keep 
those legs turning for, for more yards after contact. So we saw that consistently throughout the NAU game, uh, and he had a really solid first game as a Sun Devil. So when SU fans say, say that there's really not much to take away from this game, I will agree with them to a, to a great extent about the ASU defense. And look, when you limit NAU to 120 yards of total offense, your playbook is so uh, shut closed that you did not even, I think, run one blitz uh, the entire game. Still had uh, six, six tackles for loss. But, you know, dominance would definitely be a gross understatement of what, what we saw from that side of the ball. But really, Cole, even saying, saying all of that and realizing that our, that our much tougher test ahead starting this week in Stillwater for this ASU defense, what do you take from that side of the ball that you would maybe uh, state as a, a good foundation, something that, you know, should give ASU fans confidence that this is a group which I think, and you may agree or disagree, that may have to carry this team a lot during this 2022 campaign? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the defense is always going to be one of ASU's strong suits, the run game and the defense. Those, like That's how it's been the last three years. The identity isn't really shifting as long as Herm Edwards is the head coach. Um, and yeah, we saw no sacks from the defensive line front seven on Thursday, but we, we did see consistent pressure and we saw consistent pressure from players that necessarily weren't producing at that level last season. So Joe Moore, he was in the backfield a lot. Nesta Jade Silvera, especially defending the run. It seemed like we were seeing him go from fly from sideline to sideline. Merlin Robertson, Kyle Soley, like those guys just were tremendous in coverage. Like right when the ball was in the receiver's hands, they were there to to take him down and provide that initial contact. So that's really encouraging to see. DJ Taylor as well with Jordan Clark's status still in doubt for the Oklahoma State. I thought had a really solid game in the slot, especially since he only started playing the the position two weeks ago. I mean, that was incredible. He was part of one of those um, pick sixes that got called back. But even the guy on the the recipient of that deflection, Chris Edmonds, uh, he recorded his first pick as a Sun Devil and – that's just a testament to stuff that he's done his entire career at Sanford. He has nine career interceptions and uh, Kiwan Markham also had a, a first quarter interception. So that just shows you this defense is going to be really opportunistic this season. And also the pass rush is hitting home to provide those guys in the secondary with those chances to create turnovers through the air um, for, for just for ASU. So I think, Defense, once again, is going to be a strong suit for Arizona State. And we're, we're going to see more, more sacks, more picks, I think, this year. So I had a chance to go uh, earlier today uh, to talk to uh, the Oklahoma State Insider um, on my networkrivals.com for a piece uh, that we're going to run during this long weekend called uh, know, know Your Foe. And uh, I wanted to get his take not only on the entire Cowboy team, but especially on their own season opener, which ironically also – fell on the same night that, that ASU's uh, season opener did. Uh, Oklahoma State beats uh, Central Michigan 58-44. to The win, obviously, is not a surprise for a team that is preseason ranked number 12. But yielding 44 points, and even though Central Michigan is uh, one of the powers of the MAC uh, conference, it's still a team that outscored uh, Oklahoma State in the second half 29-14. Uh, to And when I talked to the Oklahoma State insider, he said that, uh, you know, the obvious, the second teamers, you know, probably didn't play as well as, as he thought they would, but also that their linebackers and safeties are, are in rebuilding mode, uh, you know, from last year. 
And really, this is an Oklahoma State team that even though had an outstanding uh, 2021 campaign, almost sometimes they did it, or maybe oftentimes I should say they did it despite their, their, their defensive uh, shortcomings. When you look at that score of that Oklahoma State game, and maybe it kind of surprised uh, like me too, should that give, you think, confidence uh, for ASU and, and their fans? Or, again, just like we're talking about just wiping away that season opener for Arizona State, maybe for different reasons, maybe uh, with Oklahoma State, you, you, you kind of do the same and figure that uh, that defense perhaps is going to play much better this weekend in Stillwater. I think it bodes well for ASU to remain competitive in the late hours of the game. So if the score is manageable heading into that third quarter, late hours of the third quarter, fourth quarter, when, you know, more depth is getting rotated and, or or I guess even before that depth has been rotated in to pace the starters a bit and extend their stamina for, for those, for those final few drives, Oklahoma state's not going to be, not going to be able to do that because if their second team is giving up, how many points did they give up in the, in the second half? 29 points in the second half, 22 in the fourth quarter alone. Right, 22 in the fourth quarter alone with their second teamers out. I mean, this is a starter-laden defense, and they're going to be have to have to be on the field for every single play. If if the if the score is close and depth and rotation is a luxury that ASU has, especially up front on defense, uh, re- position coach Robert Rodriguez, like he's been given the the green light by defensive coordinator Donnie Henderson to just kind of send whoever whoever's out there. Like Henderson said, like. Whoever's out there, I'm happy with because Rodriguez knows his his skill set strengths and he knows how to put them in the best position to win. So, just rotation depth that has been a, a strong suit of ASU that we saw all through fall camp, and I think it might, you know, show up in the Oklahoma State game when they'll they will be able to keep starters fresh during the during the long run and basically outpace Oklahoma State in the stamina game. And I also think, uh, Cole, that uh, in a game against Oklahoma State, I mean, you're still dealing with, with the pretty explosive offense. I mean, sure, just like ASU, they did play a, a much inferior opponent. But when you look at the distribution uh, of offensive plays uh, against NAU, uh, 49 rushing attempts, uh, 18 uh, passing attempts, that's obviously a very gross imbalance. But honestly, I don't know if we're going to see a whole lot different uh, percentage-wise against Oklahoma State because I, th- I think that ASU – feels comfortable uh, with the, with its running game. And they know that as long as they're really able to win the time of possession uh, game, that to me is really a must for any chance at an upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read option, run pass option, especially when you have a versatile quarterback in Emory Jones, like that's just going to be so valuable for ASU, especially if, if they somehow manage to cling to a, cling to a lead, then they're going to want to bleed as much clock as possible. There's no way, better way to do that than handing off to, X X validate in the backfield or having him work the edge defenders with, with Emory Jones. So yeah, like I, I, I can see that. I think the initial scores will have to come through the passing game. Like you're going to have to keep pace with Spencer Sanders and that, that passing attack. But in the late hours of the game, if, if ASU has a, a three point lead, a, you know, one score lead, then they're going to want to diminish as many opportunities that Oklahoma state can drive as possible. Well, uh, we'll see how everything uh, unfolds uh, this weekend. Uh, it's Stillwater. Call uh, and I rest of our DevilsDigest.com staff uh, will be there to cover this very intriguing uh, non-conference matchup. 
And Cole, uh, you know, be, before we sign off, uh, I know uh, you're somebody who has his hands in a lot of pots. So why don't you tell a podcast listeners uh, where they can find your work and what kind of other work uh, do you do besides the fine uh, staff writing you do for Devil's Digest? Yeah, of course, you can find all my film analysis based content on devilsdigest.com. But I also, you know, cover the Chargers for USA Today, as well as doing data collection for PFF. I'm also covering the Cardinals as well um, for Cronkite News this this uh, this this football season. So, yeah, I definitely wear a lot of hats this season. I'm staying busy, but uh, obviously I, I love talking ASU football and I, I love just, you know, breaking down the game. So that's where you can find me. Twitter at Ham Analysis. Tweet me anything. Tweet me film scheme clips and I'll probably respond to you. Well, thank you so much, Cole. And speaking of film clips, uh, Cole, uh, like, like he will do every every week for us uh, throughout the season, is going to do a film analysis on what ASU fans can accept from the Oklahoma State um, offense and defense. And I know that uh, you're probably mainly going to look at a lot of clips from 2021, but maybe uh, there's some uh, more interesting clips than you thought there would be in the season opener against Central Michigan that, that ASU fans are probably going to find uh, really interesting to see. Uh, Cole, uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for your time. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch this week uh, ahead of a- Arizona State's uh, road game at Oklahoma State. Yeah, can't wait. And that'll do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Thanks again to my staff member, Cole Topham, for sharing his insight on ASU season opener, improving the contest versus Oklahoma State. And speaking of that game, we will have multiple content pieces regarding this intriguing non-conference contest. So make sure you don't miss any of our coverage leading up to Saturday and become a premium subscriber on our website, devilsdigest.com. Our staff will be there in Stillwater providing in-game and post-game coverage. And we would love for you to be part of our Sun Devil fan community and share your thoughts and opinions, not only about this game, but also have your voice heard the rest of the season. Thank you always for tuning in and have a great week. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.